go, but we stop everything, we turn off distractions, we put our phone away, we shut down the computer, and we just focus on the Lord. We listen for His voice. We are attentive to Him. So then Jesus went on to say, in verse 9, In this manner, therefore pray. So the Lord's Prayer really, according to Scripture, is not an option. This is the way we are to pray. And as we have learned, we've seen that what rabbis did is they would give an outline and then they would fill in the outline as they taught. So Jesus gave this as the outline. He filled it in. And that's part of what we have done as we've looked at each section of the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to just review it with you quickly. I also want to say in verse 13 where it ends up, Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Some uh, translations do not have this portion of the verse. In some of the oldest manuscripts, it is there. And in some of the other manuscripts, it's not there. And so that explains why some of your Bibles will have it and some will not have it. However, believers around the world believe that it is inspired by God. It can be in the canon as inspired by God. And... Um, there are a lot of Jewish prayers that include that phrase, and it is biblical. So we did devote a chapter to just looking at that phrase, this chapter that we're looking at today. So we're going to review the topics in the Lord's Prayer. If you want to follow along with what I'm doing right now, it would be page 19 in your leader's manual, if that's the book you have. If you have a student manual, it is page 9 and 10. And if you don't have a book, you can look on with someone around you that might have a book. Otherwise, you can just follow along. Basically, I'm going to, what he said, he starts out saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we enter God's presence by thanking him for our salvation and praising his name. It's through the blood of Jesus that we cut covenant with God. We enter into a father-child relationship with him. So we can say, our Father, Jesus' Father, my Father, together, our Father, who is in heaven. It's a wonderful privilege to call Him Father. Our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed or set apart or to be glorified is Your name. Psalm 100 verse 4 commands us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And so it's only natural that we would begin our time of prayer by thanking and praising the Lord. And there's so many things we can thank him for, so many things we can praise him for. And you can go off on any tangent on this. What we like to do is start with hallowing his name, which are, we like to look at the covenant names, compound names of God in the scripture. There are eight compound names of Yahweh in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in the New Testament. And so by praising those names and reciting scriptures to go along with them, it solidifies our faith, it raises our faith level, and we are praising his name. We are hallowing his name. And so during that time, we bless His name that He is our salvation, Yeshua, that means salvation. He is our righteousness, our sanctification. He is our peace. He's always present with us. He's our provider in the provision of freedom from every curse. He is our healer, our shepherd, and our banner of victory. Now, when I pray through this, which is most days, I will spend 10 minutes on that section. 
And I will pray the word into each one of those covenant names. And I'm just saying that to you to give you an example of what you can do. If you're not doing it yet, I want to encourage you to add this into your prayer life. The second demarcation or the second topic is your kingdom come, your will be done. So we pray that his will will be done in our lives, in the lives of our family members and friends, in the lives of our spiritual and national leaders. You can pray for the leaders of this church. I can assure you that we, they all need it. We pray for his kingdom to come in our church and in all the churches of the city. Reuben and I pray that way regularly. That God's kingdom will come in every church in this city. That every pulpit will preach the uncompromising word of God. That every worship group would be anointed by the spirit of God. And that he will have his will in every church in the city. And there will be revival that spreads throughout the city as a result. So that's where you would pray along those lines. You can also pray for our nation, how desperately our nation needs prayer. So don't just say, God bless America. Say, Lord, bring America to a place of walking in the fear of God again. May America be a holy nation, a righteous nation. Lord, overthrow all of the evil and corruption that's going on, that's happening in our land. You know, however he leads you to pray, pray for our nation. Pray for other nations. This is a good place to pray for the nations he's put on your heart as an intercessor or maybe as a former missionary or someone who supports missionaries. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're commanded in scripture to do that. Pray for the persecuted church. This is the most, the, the best place to pray for the persecuted church and how desperately they need it. And then we move on. Give us this day our daily bread. And remember, we talked about how the word daily means lawful. Give us this day our lawful bread. What is lawfully ours? Well, actually, all the covenant names of God, that is lawfully ours. So we can say, Lord, today, I need your peace. I need a sense of your presence with me. I need your provision today. Lord, I need healing in my body. I need you to shepherd me, to nurture me, to guide me by your spirit. So all of those are part of what's lawfully ours. You may have certain needs that day. Lord, I need your wisdom today. I need your counsel. So that's where you can ask your own petitions. Then it moves on. Jesus said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So we ask God to forgive us our sins and we forgive anyone who has wronged us. We choose to live in forgiveness and mercy toward others all day long. If we make that choice first thing in the morning, we're more likely to walk in it all throughout the day. If we have allowed unforgiveness to grow into a root of bitterness, then we need to repent of that and renounce the bitterness as we prayed in here and ask him to uproot that bitterness from our hearts and to sit on our hearts, in our hearts as Lord and King of our lives again. We turn over the, the throne of our hearts back to Jesus. If we've allowed bitterness there, then bitterness is ruling on the throne of our hearts. So we've got to uproot that. We've got to repent of it, renounce it, and put Jesus back there. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here's where we can pray for a pure heart so that temptation does not appeal to us. Pray that we don't enter into temptation through carelessness or rebellion or unforgiveness. We can ask God to put a hedge of protection around us, around our families, around our possessions. I like to pray a scripture that's in Psalm 139 where it says, You go before me, you're behind me, and you encompass me. 
about and you lay your hand upon me. So that's where I pray that verse. Lord, I see you as going before me today. You are my rear guard. You've surrounded me with favor. You've surrounded me with songs of deliverance. You've put your hand upon me. I receive that today, Lord. I need that today. You can see the wisdom of praying through the Lord's Prayer, right? Because it covers so many bases. Then it's good to put on the whole armor of God that we see in Ephesians 6 to withstand the attacks of the enemy. So we put on the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We put on the helmet of salvation, the shoes of the gospel of peace. We use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the shield of faith. And it's good even to pray through each one of those. For instance, when I put on the belt of truth, I don't just put on the belt of truth. I say, Lord, today I put on the belt of truth. I'm going to walk in truth today. I'm going to walk in integrity today. I want to speak truth. I want to deal with truth. I want to perceive truth. And I want to discern when there is not truth around me. Would you strengthen the gift of discerning of spirits in my life so that I don't fall prey to fraud or to deception? So you can pray through every, mem- every piece of the armor. Then lastly, he says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So we conclude the prayer with praise and worship. We acknowledge that the kingdom is his, the power, and the glory. It all belongs to the Lord. It's all his. And so Jesus actually commands us to end our prayer time with this. And I think part of the wisdom of that is if we pray through all kinds of petitions and we've prayed for family members that are hurting and people that are sick and we've prayed about the churches in America and we've, we've prayed for spiritual leaders and national leaders and all these different things, if we walk out at that point, we can walk out burdened for everything we've prayed about. But if we've prayed through it thoroughly and at the end we say, Because yours is the kingdom. You're the king of the kingdom and it's all about you. Yours is the power. Lord, you can penetrate any situation that I've been praying about. There's nothing too difficult for you. And yours is the glory forever and ever. The glory over this nation. The glory over this church. The glory over the people I've been praying for. Lord, the glory is all yours. And by the time you end that way, your faith again rises up. Joy rises up in your heart. You leave your place of prayer in a place of peace, and you leave every care with him. You've cast your cares on the Lord, and he sustains you as you walk on through your day. Our praise enthrones the Lord, and it causes the enemy to flee from us. He cowers at the mention of the name of Jesus. So that's part of our spiritual Weaponry is, war, is, a, is worship and praise. It's a very big part of our weaponry. God created man with a nat- natural inclination to worship. We will worship someone or something. And if we don't worship God, we'll worship something else. We'll worship some, someone else. God alone deserves our praise. And so... When we worship the Lord, the kingdom of God advances. It pushes the kingdom of God forward. It pushes light forward. It pushes darkness backward. Good thing for you to do if you feel in your home or in the home of like your, your family members, maybe you don't live at home with your family, but you go home to visit. If you feel oppression in the home, rebuke it in the name of Jesus and then walk through the house and fill it with praise and worship. And the enemy will flee. Speak the name of Jesus. 
Shout the name of Jesus. You know, there is victory that comes in the shout that won't come any other way. That's why in Psalms we're commanded to shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. It's one of our good weapons. And I love shouting to the Lord because I see breakthroughs that happen when I shout that will not happen any other way. So we want to use all the weapons he's made available to us. How does worship affect us? I'm going to give you, we have in the book four different ways. I'm just going to talk about three of them. Worship affects us by increasing our faith. As we confess God's word and praise, as we acknowledge who he is, as we thank him for who he is, our faith rises to the level of our confession. We believe God is as powerful and good as our praises declare. I find that just in the first demarcation when I'm hallowing his name, and I'm declaring his name, and I'm declaring the word of God where his name fits into each of the different scriptures, by the end of that section, my faith has risen up. I know he's going to provide. I know he's going to heal. I know he's my banner of victory. I know he's going to shepherd me because I've been praying it. I've been declaring it. So it increases our faith. The second thing worship does is it causes growth in holiness. We become like the person we worship. We worship the Lord with an unveiled face, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, with an unveiled face, that means an open face, an open heart, we reflect his glory and we're gradually changed into that glory. If we will lower our inner barriers, you know, sometimes we just have barriers. We're worshiping the Lord with our mouth, but our heart is far from him, like it says in scripture. We've got barriers. It's kind of like God, I need you, but don't get too close. Don't want you to hurt me. I'm not sure if I trust you. So I worship you because you deserve it, but I don't want to get really close to you. But if we will lower those barriers, if we will embrace him fully, worship him with an open heart, an open face, we will become more and more like him. It's part of our growth into holiness is worship. And then lastly, it prepares us for the new things God wants to do in our lives. God's always doing new things. He says a couple of times in Isaiah, behold, I do a new thing. Before it happens, I'm going to declare it to you. I'm doing new things. God wants to do things in all of our lives, in all of our situations. And worship prepares us for those. It softens our hearts. It sensitizes our spirits so that when God moves, we recognize it. When God does something new, it often comes in an unexpected form. But as we gaze on him in worship, we will see where he's moving, when he's moving, and we'll be more easily, we'll more easily embrace the new thing that he wants to do. So you can see worship is very important in our lives. His is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Worship him even for that, if nothing else. Allow it to increase your faith, increase your growth in holiness, and prepare you for the new things that he wants to do. Reuben's going to pick it up from there. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen simply means 
so be it. So be it. So be it. It's God's kingdom. It's not ours. It's God's kingdom. The word for kingdom is a Greek word, basileia, which simply means royal sovereign authority. Royal sovereign authority. And because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, he can operate his kingdom in any way he pleases. As supreme king, he can do anything and everything whenever he desires. He's king. And according to Luke 18, 17, we are to enter the kingdom of God as little children, dependent, humble, open-hearted, and extremely grateful. We can't enter the kingdom proudly. God resists the proud, but he lavishes grace upon humility. He loves humility. So we can't enter with pride in our hearts or thinking too highly of ourselves or demanding our own way. We've got to recognize the lordship of Jesus. Now, most evangelical churches today focus mainly on his saving power. It's Jesus as Savior. But when the scripture says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Savior, no. Every tongue is not going to confess that he's Savior. He's Lord Supreme. He's monumentally Lord Supreme. Nothing higher. No one higher. He's Lord. And we have to acknowledge and recognize and embrace His Lordship. Not just His salvation. He saves us to cut the sin line. But now He wants to be Lord to rule our lives. To be in control. That's the hardest thing we have in surrendering and giving up. The rule of Jesus in us will be manifested by his righteousness, peace, and joy expressed through us. Romans 14, 17. And intimacy with God should never cause us to be casual with God. We're to never take the grace of God in vain and to turn it into license. And we've got to be very aware that sometimes we can become so familiar with Jesus that we overstep boundaries that he has laid for everyone. And with that, it can be easy for us to think that we have extraordinary privileges or that we are very Super special to God. And we are. But that truth can move us into an element of pride that easily. And I know. I submitted and yielded to that temptation within my first 10 years as a believer. I would have people say to me, you know, I just sense there's such a special calling on your life. And I had, I had one woman Come up to me and say, I sense there's a holy bubble of protection. You don't need to worry at all about the enemy. And after a while, that started getting into my heart to feel like I had special privilege. 
among God's people to the throne. That is pride. That's pride. And God had to deal severely with me in that area to have me love humility. Love humility. <clears throat> Resist all pride. Ask the Lord to give you greater grace and greater humility to be more like Him. Embrace His righteousness. This is the recipe of how we live before the king and have him rule rather than us continue to be at the reins of our life. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. The Greek word there is dunamis. And it means miraculous might and strength. And according to 1 Corinthians 4.20, God's kingdom is expressed in power. God shares his power with us by giving us authority over the enemy. God loves to defeat an unseen power. Remember, Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. What a place of honor he had. And he has so fallen that now puny little humans, but are made in the image and likeness of God. God has chosen people to put down the authority of the enemy and it even says that God will soon crush Satan under your feet wow God loves that he's going to destroy principalities and powers through weak people who recognize their weakness but have received God's strength to pull down those forces of evil it's God's power God's power. He also equips us with gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. And at times, God anoints us to step into a power gift. In Greek, the word is charismata. When specific needs arise that require them. Like a gift of faith. If someone's in a car accident and you're the first on the scene and they're in a matter of life or death, there is a possibility, there's a channel for God's power to pray in, in a way that's beyond even your prayers to believe for that person to not die. I've seen it happen. There are times when God will look to tap into his power gifts, but we have to be surrendered and yielded and intimate enough to know what gift does he want at this moment to be put into full exercise. On other occasions, hear this, only to the degree that we embrace God's kingdom, in other words, his sovereign rule and reign over our lives, can we walk in and live in power? Genuine power of God. We might have a lot of natural charisma or power or personality, but the power of God is only contingent upon the degree of how much we've surrendered to the rulership of Jesus. When we are under authority... We carry authority. When we are under authority, we carry authority. Resurrection po uh, power follows after death to the flesh. 
as we die to ourselves, die to our self-will, say no to the self-will, the power of the Spirit is increasingly and consistently released in and through our lives. Death is at work in us, Paul said, but life in you. It's his kingdom, his power, and it's God's glory. And the word for glory is doxa. It's where we get doxology. Praise and honor. And Isaiah 42, 8 says that all the glory, all the honor belongs to the Lord. Not most of the glory or most of the honor. It all belongs to him. And Psalm 29, 1 and 2 commands us to ascribe glory and honor that are due to him. Ascribe it all to him. But what is so amazing about our God is that the Lord is willing to share his glory with us. But, this is a big, huge, three-letter word. He requires us to share in his suffering also. Reading from Romans 8, verses 16 through 18 from the Amplified Bible. Paul writes, the Spirit himself testifies together with our own spirit, assuring us that we are children of God. And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. But what of that? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, in this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred upon us. Fellow disciples of Jesus it does not get any better than this. His glory to us and in us and for us and conferred upon us. It doesn't get any better than this. But where we have the difficult time is in that word suffering. Hmm. Suffering with Jesus includes anything that requires a measure of death for us so that his kingdom can be established in us and extended in the earth through us into the lives of others. It requires a measure of death for us so that his kingdom can be established in us and extended in the earth through us into the lives of others. Now, what are some examples of this in some practical ways? Well, say no to temptation. The flesh suffers when we deny it. Now, take that thought and apply it to a scripture that for years I only had a small view of 1 Peter 4, verse 1. 
that says, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I thought, you have to be beaten and tortured and all this, and you're not even going to think about sin when you're in that type of environment. You will have ceased from all sin. No, I, I, I've enlarged my understanding of ceasing from sin in that particular area if I get victory over the temptation. That sin has ceased today. Hallelujah. For he or she who has suffered in the flesh, when I do not yield to the flesh, it suffers. When I deny the flesh, the flesh screams. It hates dying. Disciplining the flesh for the Lord's sake. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. In other words, fasting from food. That is a suffering of the flesh. How many of you here have ever fasted for more than 24 hours? 48 hours. One week. Two weeks. Three weeks. Four weeks. Five weeks. 40 days. 50 days? Did you do 40? Hallelujah, that'll change your life. I fasted 40 days, six months before I met Janet. That changed my life. I was 41 years old and I figured, wow, Jesus fasted for 40 days when he was 30. And I'm 40 and I've never done that. Well, it was the most gracious 40-day the greatest fast I'd ever been in my life. But it was a saying no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And God transformed my life by sending me to South Africa and meeting, meeting a lady that God has used to help change my life in wonderful ways. Disciplining the flesh for the Lord's sake. You can also fast from sleep. When I was in a college and career group in Rockford, Illinois, I remember every first Friday of the month, we had an all-night prayer meeting. We started at 6 p.m. and ended at 6 a.m., 12 hours. It was glorious, wonderful. And if you have about 60, 70 others with you, it's easy to stay awake. Wonderful, tremendous. Or you can fast from entertainment. In one of the discipleship groups here, one of the guys' groups that I was with, we all challenged each other to not watch the news for seven days. I'll tell you, that was deliverance. It really was. We all had a hard time, but we all recognized that after we watched the news, it affected us, especially watching it daily. And even the true news was bad news let alone the false news that is always bad news. And we fasted from the news for seven days and it affected all of us. I want to encourage you, fast from entertainment, fast from the news. You'll find you have less fear. The spirit of fear is flooding the airwaves today. Another one is being persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
or interceding for others when it involves sacrifice of time or energy. Or doing the will of God when it's costly. Going to the mission field. Staying single is a form of suffering. So can marriage be. So can marriage be a form of suffering. Not, not yet, not ours. Listen, before I married, I had all kinds of single people that said, oh man, I just wish I were married. I had married people say, man, I wish I was single. You don't know the blessing you have. Everything can be a form of suffering. Especially in those areas. How about studying to further equip yourself for ministry? That is a suffering from your schedule to move ahead with God. These are just some of the ways in which we suffer in the flesh to become more like Jesus. Denying ourselves the luxury of yielding to ourselves so we can yield to the Spirit. And although the kingdom and the power and the glory belong to the Lord, He graciously shares them with us. What a God! What a gracious God! He allows us to participate in his kingdom, to receive his power, and to share his glory. Wow. But hear this tonight. With this doxology on the disciples' prayer, Jesus has conditions that are attached to his kingdom his power, and his glory. We only share in God's kingdom to the degree that we surrender to him and welcome his rule and reign and lordship over us. The more we yield to his lordship, the more his kingdom will come. And we only consistently walk in his power to the degree that we embrace that lordship. We want that lordship. We long for that, for him to be supreme. We long for his will to be done, not mine. We echo not only the prayer of Jesus in the garden, his heart desire as well. And the third condition is we can only share his glory to the degree that we're willing to suffer in the flesh. By saying yes to the spirit and no to the self-will. We're purified and we're sanctified by submitting to God's discipline. Hello, disciples. Welcome to discipleship. Friends, as, a real, as real disciples of Jesus, we choose. It's an act of the will. We choose to die to the flesh, to mortify the acts of the flesh, Paul says. We choose to die so that the spirit can live more. That's the reason it's not some ugly mortification of wanting to die. No, it's that Christ might live in a greater way. And each blessing of his kingdom, his power, and his glory, they all build on one another. They all build on each other. Embracing God's kingdom leads to a life filled with power and self-denial, which results in his glory. And Jesus exemplified this prayer that he gave his disciples. 
He modeled it perfectly. That's why he was so anointed when he spoke it. And he gave it to all of us who put our hope, our trust in him. He showed us a kingdom strategy for our prayer lives. It's not only important, it is strategic for us to begin our prayers with praise. Hallowed be thy name. And to end our prayers with praise and worship. Praise and worship are on the front and the end. They're the first and the last. They're the alpha and the omega. They're the beginning and the end. Praise and worship, it needs to be the alpha and omega of our prayer lives in every instance. Janet was talking about that our prayer lives suffer. We can have a conversational prayer life with God throughout the day, and that is necessary. But to have an intimate time of communing with him, this is the entrance and the exit. Strategy. So on that note, let's pray. Our Father, tonight we want to just magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. We want to exalt all of the covenant names of God that we've studied in that lesson of hallowed be your name. All of the covenant names of God. Tonight we bless your name, O oh God. It's in your name, in your honor, your kingdom, your power, your glory that we come to you in prayer. Lord, we honor you and we worship you before we make our petitions to you. And Lord, for some of us that is new hearing, it's just so easy for us to just Start our prayer life by pouring out our burdens to you. And Lord, help me with this and God. And we just start our whole prayer life being me focused. Praise and worship and adoration. Lift our eyes to where they need to be when we start our praying. Lord, you are the first and you're the last in everything. And that includes our prayers to you. So Lord, we just pray that all that we've looked at in this semester, these nuggets, these challenges, God, I just remember that uh, going the extra mile of what that means for us and all the practicalities of deep spiritual uh, kingdom words that you spoke to those disciples 2,000 years ago and you're still speaking to the disciples, us today. Lord, there have been some treasures that you have planted into our hearts. And Lord, we just pray that everything that you have sown into us would be watered by your spirit, watered by your word, so that life, new life can begin. And Lord, not just new life, 
Lord, we want it to mature to a place of fruitfulness. We want a seed in its end result to produce wonderful fruit and not just fruit, fruit that remains. So Lord, we just thank you for hearing our prayers tonight, for hearing our hearts tonight. Thank you for drawing us closer to yourself with the words of Jesus. In this holy season of preparation to celebrate the birth of your only begotten Son, our King Jesus, our Messiah. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to celebrate not only your first coming to earth 2,000 years ago, but we look forward to your second coming, which is soon on the horizon. And Lord, you're going to come not just as Savior to the Jewish people, and with their rejection, the whole world can enter into your salvation. But Lord, we look forward to your coming lordship of the earth. You're coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Reigning supreme, no more coming as a, a weak and needy baby. You're coming as the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. And Lord, we're thankful that we can already bow our knee and have our tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, and not only of the whole earth and universe, but you are Lord supreme over our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We do bless your name tonight. Amen.